I think if I was having to do one trip, I would go back to the Galapagos, but I would go diving. Because if anyone is a scuba diver, you know that that is the ultimate place to dive. And when we went, I wasn't so experienced with my scuba diving. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I always say that I have a wonderful guest, but I think today the guest is even more wonderful than the others I had before. No, I'm only joking. Everybody is. All of them are. I have this wonderful lady that I, funny enough, met in a clubhouse room. And I was saying before, it's this kind of person that you hear speak and you just understand that it's your kind of person, your kind of girl. We've probably only spent about three minutes together in that room. Or, But anyway, Janet Linfoot, you are an amazing woman. You are a corporate CEO, an entrepreneur, a business advisor, mentor, public speaker. You have won awards. You are one of the most influential women in travel. You've got your own podcast. And I've seen you with a book somewhere. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys. I am so, so glad that you're here. Oh, thank you for having me, Elizabeth. I was delighted when you asked me. So yeah, my absolute pleasure to be here. So how did it start? You're a travel girl. I've seen uh, you were connected to Thomas Cook, Saga, Tui. Where did you start? How did the traveling start? Where did the travel bug bite? Well, I guess, I mean, when I think way back when to when I was a kid growing up in Manchester, you know, with my parents, we were always really lucky that uh, we had uh, holidays overseas, which, you know, in the 70s and the 80s wasn't the norm, really, for for lots of families. So we were really lucky. And uh, so I guess that's probably where my love for travel started, you know, from my parents and um, and then I made a profession from it as well. You know, very fortunate to have spent gosh, 27 years in the travel industry. And I'm still very much in the industry as well with the businesses that I have now. But yeah, it started way back. And um, I guess when I I graduated from university from Leeds with an economics degree, and um, my first proper job was as a government economist down in Whitehall, um, which all sounds very grandiose. And it it was a really good first job. But I knew that the civil service wasn't for me. So after a couple of years, I, in a strange sort of way, applied for a graduate scheme at Thompson Holidays back then. And um, probably because they had rejected my application when I was at university. So I'm very stubborn. And I reapplied, even though I was an old, I wasn't technically a student, you know, I've been working for a couple of years. And I got accepted onto the graduate training scheme at Thompson. So that was really where my I guess, professional life started in the world of travel. And then since then, I've worked uh, for a number of major brands, um, Thomson way back, Tui, First Choice, Saga, Thomas Cook. Uh, so yeah, I've done, I've done the rounds, shall we say, Elizabeth? <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Tell me though, where was the first flight to? Do you remember your first flight? My first flight in terms of my professional life? No, 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 no. What the first holiday? Oh, the first holiday was to Ibiza when I was four. And that was a family holiday. In fact, I had well, I was probably three when we flew out because I had my fourth birthday there. So that's probably not only my earliest memory of travel, but my probably one of my earliest memories, actually, as a child, you know, and uh, obviously it impacted me. Um, and I had my fourth birthday in Ibiza. So 
So yeah, that's the first flight. That's amazing. So you actually remember that? You have memories I, of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember learning to swim as well on that holiday. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So because I have been in the travel business for so, so many years, but I did not have any holidays at all. My first flight was when I was 16. I had saved enough money to go from Zurich to London. So, you know, we, we come from very, very different places. So did your parents just enjoy traveling? Was it just uh, going on holidays or did were they in the travel business as well? No, no. So they just enjoyed holidays, really. And, uh, you know, my dad was a plumber and my mum was a secretary, but she was also quite entrepreneurial. My mum's still alive. She's 84. She's an incredible woman, very inspiring. And um, yeah, so how it sort of worked really was essentially, you know, my dad was working, I guess, paying for the bills and the, you know, normal costs of having three children. And my mum, when she was working, she pretty much saved most of what she earned so that she could take us on holiday. So that's kind of how it how it was. But um, my mum's mother was also quite a linguist. So she spoke a number of languages, which, you know, way back in the 20s, again, as a woman was was quite unusual. So I think my mum had this sort of interest in different cultures and travel. And, and that meant that she always made sure that we had um, foreign holidays, really, which we were really lucky to have. So, yeah, it started there, to be honest. Well, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that is very rare, and especially from an English-speaking person, because, you know, I always say I speak six languages because I had to. And people always complain that the Americans or the English or people of English mother tongue in general don't really speak many languages. And that's not their fault. That's our fault because we accommodate them. We speak English to them because, uh, you know, I learned Greek when I was a tour guide because nobody spoke anything but Greek. So I had to. But if you don't have to, you don't do it. So your your grandmother must have been been quite an amazing lady. Yeah, yeah, she was. I know, unfortunately, I never knew her because she died. She died when my mum, well, I think my mum was only 17, actually. So she lost her mum very early. And obviously that was way before we came along. Mm -hmm. but she, um, got, she got a gift. She got a gift to want to see the world. Yeah. Um, what is the craziest trip that you've ever been on? Ooh, now, craziest. I, I mean, crazy as in good, good, you know, many things. Yeah, good. Good crazy. crazy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I've been very lucky through my kind of career and also, you know, personal life to travel so much. So, I mean, I would say one of the most crazy, memorable trips was a couple of years ago. So I'd left Saga, where I was the CEO of the travel division, and my myself and my partner Chris, we don't have kids or anything, so we're you know we're pretty pretty flexible. So we went backpacking around South America for three months actually. So we went all around Argentina, Chile, Ecuador, out to the Galapagos, um, then we ended up back up, up in Belize where we were diving, scuba diving, which we love to do. So that was a bit of a crazy trip because we went from one extreme to the other, you know, to the, the falls in Iguazu, down to Perito Moreno, the glaciers in El Cabate, over to the wine region. And yeah, so that was an amazing trip. And of course, the Galapagos is um, out of this world. So um, yeah, very fortunate to have done that. But we literally just booked a flight to um, to Buenos Aires, a couple of nights in an Airbnb, and then we just went went with the flow. So completely free spirits with our rucksacks. And um, yeah, I guess it was only a couple of years ago. So I would have been Oh, gosh, I was been 46 and Chris was 56 then. So I guess we were quite old backpackers. 
<laughs> Fantastic. But isn't that just the most, the best way to go about it? And, you know, like not to plan too much because, uh, you know, when you plan too much, I've got a story that now that you mentioned South America and Buenos Aires, I miss, I don't know, miss know it all traveled on the 11th of March, 2019, which was actually the day when the World Health Organization declared this as a pandemic. I traveled 18 hours from Cyprus to Buenos Aires to meet up with my daughter because I thought, this is rubbish, you know, it's the usual thing, MERS and SARS and Ebola, we've had it all and this is going to blow over in two weeks, you know, and of course, I realize that it's not it's much more serious than that and I actually managed to stay three nights in in Argentina I had to escape because the day after I arrived the Argentinian government announced that they are closing down the country to Europe so I had to desperately find a flight and then I managed to get to Switzerland managed to fly out managed to get to Switzerland and while I was flying to Switzerland I found out that Cyprus was closing down and that everybody who arrives has to quarantine and that was just at the beginning I mean now in the meantime everybody has quarantined at some time so I came to Cyprus and the Cyprus government locked me up so my whole trip which was supposed to be Mendoza you know the Andes and everything ended up in a it was an amazing experience though and it, I would do it again I always think I would do it again even if you know even after that but yeah so is what are your dreams where would you if, if I could tell you tonight you know I, I'm giving you a ticket to wherever you want to go where would you go where where is because you have traveled from what I understand you have traveled a lot so yeah. you have fulfilled a lot of your dreams. Are there dreams and what are they? Gosh, there's so many, isn't it? I mean, it's so difficult to pick, isn't it? I mean, I I, I love um, Asia, actually, as well. I mean, South America, fabulous, but I love Asia as a continent. I think if I was having to do one trip, I would go back to the Galapagos, but I would go diving. Because if anyone is a scuba diver, you know that that is the ultimate place to dive. And when we went... I wasn't so experienced with my scuba diving. So you need a minimum of 100 dives um, because the currents are really strong. So that is definitely on our list to go back and dive the Galapagos rather than do it by sort mm -hmm. of and land. Um, so, yeah, but there's so many places to choose, isn't there? I mean, I love China. I spent a lot of time in China because I was running a business over there for TUI. Uh, but Chris, my other half, has, has never been to China. So that would be really cool to do a trip together over to China, I think, too. But uh, God, I don't know, Elizabeth, it's almost an impossible question to... I know, I know. I I, <laughs> I, actually, I ask people that question. The other, the worst question that I'm going to ask you too, because uh, people ask me that all the time, and it's also an impossible question, but what is your favourite country? Oh, I know. <laughs> but it's, it's impossible. <sighs> Yeah, I, I mean, I would say I would say Argentina is is definitely really? for me, and and it's really because of the diversity. You know, as I say, when we were there, we you know Buenos Aires is is just an incredible city, but then you go up to Iguazu to the falls, which are you know one of the great wonders really of the, of the world. So that's really cool. You go right down south to the to the glaciers, where you go from one you know extreme to another, Mendoza, the wine region. So there's just so much variety in one country. I mean, it's vast, obviously. So, yeah, I would say Argentina is definitely up there uh, for sure. But 
Italy, if I was doing short haul, Italy. It's probably, you see, this is the thing. When you think of Italy, it's probably the one of the most beautiful countries in the world. When you see the diversity, how different the north is from the south. And, and another thing that I always say, Italian men are the only men that still flirt with a woman my age. <laughs> There's got to be a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons to go to Italy. <laughs> men, the gorgeous food, the gorgeous wine and beautiful scenery as well. So, yeah, so many reasons and good shopping. too. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So sh- what about shopping? Do you shop when you're traveling? You know what? I tend to, it depends how I'm traveling, to be honest, because if you're backpacking, obviously you've got to carry it. Right. So um, I would normally get a small memento of where I've been, maybe a piece of jewellery or something like that. Um, But if I was travelling, say, on business um, and I've got my wheelie uh, with me, I would be very, I'm very prone to a designer handbag. I have to say, Elizabeth, it's a bit of a weakness of mine. It's my little treat to myself. So, yeah, nice Gucci handbag is always, is always fun to buy. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm. you're definitely my kind of girl. I actually have, in some of my episodes, I'm talking about my Gucci handbag when I was a younger, when I was a young tour guide and I used to, you know, in the 80s, there were no credit cards. We had, we were carrying cash. We mm. used to, I, I used to do America uh, round trips in the US and I had to pay an entry fee at Disney World for 40 people and it was like $35. That was, and, and, Back to back. And I used to walk around with $20,000 in my little Gucci bag at four o'clock in the morning, a little drunk in my hands. And forth. <laughs> you know, when you look back at these things and I have children, I have a daughter and, I, and a son and my daughter is 25 and she loves traveling. And if she did that, I would tell her that she's crazy. But uh, thank God they don't know everything. So have you ever had a bad experience? Have you ever been robbed or have you ever had an accident while you were abroad? You know, I've been very lucky, actually, and and not, which is which is luck, to be fair, because you can be anywhere in the world, can't you? And and things happen. You know, I used to always say this when I was product director at First Choice, which is one of the roles I held. You know, I would always say anything that happens at home can happen overseas. You know, and we used to, I used to have to deal with some terrible situations, you know, murders, deaths, rapes. I mean, you, you'll know yourself and being overseas, those things can happen. So I think for, for me to have travelled so much and to have never really had any bad incidents like that, I've been very fortunate. But when I was in Moscow, uh, so when I was at TUI, I was the managing director of the emerging market. So I bought three businesses for TUI, uh, two, in, two in Russia, one in Ukraine. And when I was in Moscow, there were regular shootings, regular shootings. So whilst I was never directly involved, you know, obviously I had, you know, a good driver and things like that. You know, an incident could just happen literally, you know, a few cars in front of you. Um, So that was quite a a very um, tough environment to, to work in, to do business in as well. Uh, So, yeah, I've seen a lot, but fortunately, touch wood, Never been directly affected myself. So, yeah. That, that, that sounds pretty creepy when you are like somewhere and you hear you're in a hotel and you hear gunshots and you, you... when was that? When when did you go to the first time to Moscow? I mean, was it obviously after the fall, often after 91? Yeah. So, so I, I'm trying to think of the dates now, actually. So that would have been around about 2000, between 2008 and 2010, 11. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and 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 the winters in Moscow, whew, you know, I mean, literally, you can really only stand outside for five minutes. My mascara used to freeze, 
So I'd have like little, little kind of, you know, icicles hanging off my mascara. <laughs> yeah, so like, you know, you have your big coat and all your all your layers and everything. So, it, I mean, it's brutal, but super hot in the, in the summer as well, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it was it was a it was a, a an amazing experience for me culturally. Also, from the point of view of acquiring businesses in that in that environment, lots of complexity around doing the deals, how we structured everything for tax. Obviously, the Russian customer totally different to a European or a British customer. So it was a really amazing few years for me, and it and it did catapult my career as well. So um, yeah, it was it was fun. I always think you know, put yourself in the way of opportunity. You never know what what might what might come of it. But that involves being a bit brave and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, which I definitely did when I went to Moscow. That's for sure. Yeah, I think that's, you know, the comfort zone is a boring place. It's got the wrong name. You know, the comfort zone is not, it's too comfortable. It's nicer when it's a bit rocky and when you do things that you're not used to doing. But you've dealt with so many different people. You've done business with so many different people in so many different places. Who are the most difficult people to do business with what would you say without I mean we don't want to insult anybody and we don't want to say that in a bad way let's say who are the toughest because the toughest are usually the best yeah I would say the Chinese uh, if you're doing business in China it's it's a whole different ball game completely you know and and I really uh, you know Chinese culture around loss of face which is an Asian culture Mm -hmm. culture which you'll be very familiar with anyway, is very prevalent. And, you know, obviously you've got heavy government involvement. And I always say doing business in China is like an iceberg. You only really see the top 10% as a Westerner. You know, 90% is beneath the water. So it's so important to have local talent and leaders on the ground that understand the system, the processes, the politics, the culture, you know, um, if you go into a market like that as a Western European, thinking that you can apply the same way of doing business, you will fail and you will fail very badly. So, you know, certainly for me, it was challenging in lots of different ways. Um, than, and obviously, you've got like your language as well, you know, and so any meetings that you have, you've got your translator. And where is it from a European point of view, you might have a direct conversation. You and I could have a conversation where we might not be agreeing about something. We'll thrash it out. We'll come to a solution and, and happy days, you know, move on. Whereas in China, it's much more difficult because if you challenge someone publicly, you know, in a sort of a meeting environment, that's quite a no-no. So you have to really be able to navigate through the, the cultural uh, dimensions in a very respectful way. So it takes a lot longer to do business and to get the but lovely people, absolutely lovely people. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And that does sound complicated. And I think, you know, it's important to have good lawyers, local lawyers for these businesses. And, and, you know, you mentioned translators. I worked as a translator myself for 15 years for the European Police Association. And there are so many misunderstandings, you know, so so many times I heard somebody translate something wrong and it led to something completely different. And I, you know, sometimes I wonder, no wonder the EU doesn't, doesn't work because they, they don't understand each other most of the time. It is. And also I have had translators on tours or even tour guides, and I didn't understand. You know, they had such a heavy accent on the, or they had their language skills were not. It was hard. It was hard to understand. So, 
kudos. I mean, I take my hat off what you do and what you've been doing. Do you still, are you still in, I mean, I've, I see that you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're doing your own business. Is, is it still connected to travel or is travel now for fun? No, well, so essentially I've got three businesses, Elizabeth. So I have my board advisory business. So that is still very much connected to the travel industry. So I have corporate or private equity clients. Um, very often, if a private equity house wants to buy a travel leisure hospitality business, I will advise them on the deal because you tend to find that PE houses, they're brilliant at investing, but they don't have deep sector knowledge. So that's where I come in. And then very often I will take a non-exec director position on the board post-deal. Um, or I have corporate clients who maybe need a big strategic review of their business in terms of how they take it forward, turnaround transformation. So I'm still very much in the industry, but in that advisory capacity rather than being a corporate CEO, you know, on the, on the hook for the day-to-day performance, if you like. So that's one of my businesses. I then have a property investment business as well, uh, which is with my partner, Chris. And then I have my mentoring business. So I work with business leaders um, or senior execs to really take them to the next level. So if they want to scale up and grow their business or get into the boardroom, for example, with a C-suite role, I will work one-to-one with those clients to um, to really help them max their potential. And then I've got my podcast, Brave Ball Brilliant. So I've got kind of four things going on, if you like, Elizabeth, at the moment, which is uh, interesting, if not um, challenging as well. <laughs> it's good. It's good. That's what, you know, it, it keeps us you're younger than me, but it keeps us young. It keeps us alive. It keeps us alert. And I think if you love what you do, and I can hear that you love what you do, it's not work. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it, you just thrive. And I, I, I always, you know, people sometimes the word retire, retire from what it's fun. What, 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 what I do is fun. I don't want to, I would never want to stop. I want to do that until I cannot talk anymore. And that's going to take a lot until I cannot talk anymore. <laughs> but um, I also want to ask you, do you believe that the world is good? Is the world good? Are we, are we all the same? What is your, like your worldview? Well, I think there's, there's probably good and less good in everyone. <laughs> To to larger or lesser degree, Um, I will always try and see the positive in 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 someone. Um, But of course, there's terrible things that that go on, aren't there? That you actually think, gosh, you know, from a humanity point of view, how is that even comprehensible? So, I guess no, it's not fund. The world isn't fundamentally good, but it's not fundamentally bad either. So it's you know, unfortunately, I think that you know, politics and religion normally causes most of problems in the world in some shape or form um obviously you can have natural disasters and things like that that are challenging especially in our industry but normally it's politics and religion that causes the problems and i'm not not passing judgment on any political preference or religious view at all but if you look at most wars it's actually related normally to, to one of those those aspects um but yeah i like to see the good in people mm. I, I genuinely do. And I I firmly believe that each and every single person has greatness within them. Um, But it's how you apply that. It's how you unlock it. You know, you could give someone, I don't know, you could give someone $10 and they could go and buy some, I don't know, some crack cocaine or some heroin on the street. Or they could go and give that $10 to a homeless person to help them have food and, and shelter for the night. It's the same $10, but it's how it's used and applied that really makes a difference. So, 
Yeah, I guess it's a bit of not a specific answer, Elizabeth. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I totally agree with you on politics and religion, but especially because I live in an area where, you know, Cyprus is divided. Cyprus has been occupied since uh, 1974 and I'm surrounded by Israel, Syria, Lebanon and uh, and Egypt and what Turkey and I know from experience because I have been to all these countries and I have friends in all these places that the food is the same, the mentality is the same, the hair is the same. They are all the same people, and they could. It's such a beautiful part of the world, and there are so many beautiful things. And it's such a shame because it is all created by politics and religion. And um, but look, that would be a, probably a completely different podcast because if we wanted to go into that, or if we wanted to go, I mean, what we're watching at the moment in Afghanistan, I mean. What's happening in Afghanistan? And we are all watching it. Yeah, it's, it's just heartbreaking, isn't it? Heartbreaking, especially for, you know, I think for obviously for the people that are directly affected today, but also for all the, the people that have lost their lives, you know, trying to create a better, you know, country in Afghanistan to see that, you know, if you've lost loved ones, um, you know, fighting for the cause of, of a better a better Afghanistan. It's incredibly hard, I think, for those families to think was that was the the life of their loved one wasted in that cause, mm-hmm. given, you know where it is today. So it's very very hard. It's just hard. it really is heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. So you look to me like a happy person. You are full of life. I can see this aura of of goodness or of fun around you you're definitely the kind of girl that I'd like to have a drink with one day maybe when this when this stupid situation ever stops we will have the opportunity how do what is your routine what keeps you going what how do you start your day maybe maybe we can learn something from you tell our listeners what makes you tick yeah, well, I mean, I'm a massive believer in personal development, you know, and I think that we're all work in progress until the day we die. And that means for me personally, that means I want to be I want to be learning and growing. I want to be a better version of myself today than I was yesterday. So, you know, and my morning routine is is part of that, if you like. So I'm fiercely protective of my first hour of the day. I'm very much a, an early bird, you know, um, not everyone is. So I think you've got to find your flow. You've got to find when you're at your 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 optimum energy level. But for me, the morning is is my kind of favorite time. It sets me up for the day. So I um, I follow quite a strict routine, actually, in the morning, Elizabeth. Um, so I spend I, I follow the miracle morning. I don't know if you've come across uh-huh, that. I have um, a great book by Hal Elrod for anyone that's listening that hasn't actually checked out. It's very simple, actually. But when I read that book, I realized I was doing most of that anyway. I just wasn't so um, conscious about it, shall we say. So what I do, I spend the first five minutes of my day in silence and I just kind of meditate, focus on my breathing. For some people, this will sound a bit woo woo. So you have to take out of it what's right for you, I think, you know, because we're all different. So definitely spend time in silence. I will then do my affirmations. So I'll say out loud what, you know, what I want to achieve. And, you know, and that's often longer term, uh, but can also be short term stuff. So I say it out loud. Everyone, as I say, people listen, I think, bloody hell, she's crazy, this woman. But it works for me. Um, <laughs> and then I do my visualization. So I close my eyes and I, I project myself into that future world if you like so it could be 
for example, I've been visualising the second year anniversary of my podcast and where I'll be having the podcast party, who's going to be there, what's the design going to be, who's the DJ. You know, I literally visualise that moment of walking into the room. Uh, but it could be anything. So then it becomes quite a real, uh, you feel it then, you know, you can put some emotion behind it. Um, exercise is really important for me. So I train every single day in some shape or form. And then reading, I'll, I'll read at least 10 pages of a book every day. And I like to make some notes as well. So if I'm reading a business book or a mindset book, anything that resonates with me, I just jot it down. Um, so one, it goes in better for me if I write something down, but two, then it's quite useful just to refer back to all those amazing books that you've read with just the sort of the short notes that, that make sense for you. So that's how I spend my morning, uh, the first hour. So, and I, I try very hard. It's not always easy. I try not to look at my phone or devices before I've done all of that, because otherwise everyone else's agenda takes over your day if you're not careful. That is a lot of fantastic advice. I mean, that is there's a lot of a lot of value in that. And it really none of the things that you do cost anything. None of the things that you do um, are really a big effort. You just have to do it. And crazy, you said that people think you're crazy. I always consider crazy as a compliment. I love it when people think that I'm crazy. And the other thing is that, you know, the visualizations how would the universe know what to serve you if, if if you don't tell it? You know, you need to know what you want and then the opportunities appear. I mean, you, you know all that and, and visualizing what you want, that's when you find it, you know, and, and yeah. you, you, you bring about what you think about. So Absolutely. Um, 100% agree. And, and the thing is, I think with, with this, as I say, everyone's different. So people will take certain parts of that and, and maybe apply it to their, their own kind of personal situation. But I can only say from my point of view, that has, one, it starts me off in the right way for the day, very calm, kind of very focused. I feel good about what's coming ahead. Um, and it allows me as well to, to kind of, I suppose, put some positive actions behind what I want trying to achieve. So I always believe that there's a really simple formula for success. When people are getting stuck, and I often talk about this with my mentee clients, it basically comes down to belief. So believing in yourself, because actually, if you believe in yourself, you can achieve anything. Plus purpose, so being clear on what you want, where you're heading, plus action, and that's when you get the results. So, you know, if you're taking loads of action, you've no idea where you're heading, you're probably wasting a lot of time and effort. Equally, if you're really clear where you're heading, but you don't really believe in yourself, that's probably not going to work either. But if you get those three ingredients right, and you're taking steps every single day, you are going to move forward. And we're either growing or dying. We're like yeah. plants. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely agree. What do you do when you're feeling down? Because we all do once in a while. What's your recipe for when you're, you know, sometimes once in a while, we're, there's a lot of shit. I sometimes love to use that word coming to us. What do you do? What do well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because not, you can't all be happy clappy every day, can you? You know, things no. don't always go our way. And, and that's that's normal. Fail, you can't have success without failure. You can't have, a, you know, a positive feeling without having a negative feeling because there has to be a, a yin to every yang, you know, there's balance. Um, so yeah, it's normal to have bad days. Of course it is. But for me, I think there's a couple of things I, I, I will always, I'll try and get some fresh air 
if I'm feeling a bit down or a bit blocked or that I'm just not really on my game, you know, I'll just go for a quick walk or I'll just even sit outside with, you know, just some fresh air or with nature, with a cup of tea or whatever, just to try and change my environment. I think that that definitely helps. And, you know, I'll pick up the phone to, uh, to my mum or my sisters or a friend and just have a laugh, have a conversation with someone that you really love and care about. And then that really does lift your mood as well. Um, so I think spending time with your loved ones when you're having a tough time will, you know, if they're, if they're positive influences in your life, they, you know, that can really um, just lift you up, I think. Yeah. So for me, gravitating towards my loved ones uh, for a conversation, try and lift the mood and, and fresh air in nature helps me for sure. I love that. Fresh air in nature, unless you're in Moscow and your mascara freezes. <laughs> That's yeah, then the, then the air is too fresh. <laughs> <laughs> so your podcast is Brave, Bold, Brilliant, which, which you I, I checked. You, you're like 110 episodes in a year. Yeah, but well, 120, I think now. Yeah. OK, so, so I, must uh, have, I, I read your bio and it was that that was the number. Well done. Will be, I don't know which episode this will be, but I uploaded not episode 27 today. I only started in March. This is my COVID-19 baby. Because when I couldn't travel anymore, I felt like I was missing a limb. So I thought if I can't travel, at least I can talk about it. So I decided to do a podcast. Do you have any advice for me? Yeah, I would say I also started my podcast during lockdown last year. So I'm a year, just over a year. I started mine launched on the 27th of July like in 2020. Um, so I would say you're already doing some of this anyway, Elizabeth, but pick a topic that you absolutely love and you love travel. So the energy, the enthusiasm, it means that you will naturally keep going with it because the reality is that a lot of people start podcasts, they don't get past episode seven. Mm -hmm. So heard that. Already, yeah, yeah, you're already doing really well. And I think that's, if you love what you do, as you said earlier, and you're, you're talking about a topic that you genuinely love and care about, you will keep going. So, so definitely um, keep doing that. I mean, I would just say be consistent, you know, every release your episodes. I don't, you know, on the same day, the same frequency, because then you, you're actually training people to, to look out for the episodes as they're released, because you become part of people's everyday life, don't you? Their walk or their gym routine or while they're cleaning the kitchen or whatever it is. You know, podcasting is a great vehicle to, to actually have quite an intimate relationship with the listener because it's audio. You're literally in someone's ears. So, so I would say consistency is key. Longevity is key having a passion for what you talk about. And um, I think when it comes to getting guests as well, don't be afraid to ask, you know, because very, well, sometimes people will say no. I think I've had one person say no, and that was because they had actually, their business had recently gone under, unfortunately, so they wanted to do it at a later date. But apart from that, I, I very rarely people say no. You know, I mean, I've had some incredible guests. I had Rory Underwood on, who is the world's record try scorer in, in England's rugby. Um, I've had premiership footballers. I've had a chap called Matt Fidesz, who was Michael Jackson's bodyguard. You know, all these people. I've had Barbara Majeski. She's a massive US TV presenter. I know her from Clubhouse and I love her and I, I'd love to have her as a guest. I'm going to go after her. Yeah, she's incredible. She really is. I mean, she uh, she actually recovered from um, stage three colon cancer at a time when she was um, going through a very nasty divorce as well. She had a lot of personal stuff going on. 
And that really changed her mindset. And she decided she wanted to become a US TV personality. So she went out, she got herself media trained. And, and this is someone who was, you know, I guess she would have been late 40s at this point. So, you know, age is no barrier. She's an incredible woman. But having gone through adversity and getting really clear on what she wanted, she made it happen. But so I would just say, when you're looking for guests, don't be afraid to ask. And even if they say no, it's often just a not right now, but maybe later. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, perseverance, I think, is key. But enjoy the process. You meet some really cool people. Yeah. Oh, I love it. We've got, uh, you had Rob Moore. I had Rob Moore as well, because he he was the one who actually motivated me to start a podcast because I'm the director of the Global Women Club Cypress and New York. And he was giving a presentation in one of our, at the time, online meeting. And I thought I had never, before I hadn't listened to podcasts. And I thought, this is it. Because I was thinking of writing a book about my travel life, but I I like to talk. So I thought, hey, that's it. Listen, Janet Linfoot, where can people find you? Oh, I'm all over social media. So LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Clubhouse, <laughs> Instagram. That's where we met. Exactly, exactly. No, I'm pretty much everywhere. I've got a website as well, which is Jeanette Linfoot Associates. And of course, the podcast, you can check me out there. Brave, bold, brilliant. And yeah, you know, always happy to engage and, and connect with people. Um, and if I can help anyone on their journey, well, then that's uh, that's fantastic because that's really what I enjoy doing. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me your time, for spending time with me. I really, really enjoyed this. Oh, honestly, Elizabeth, it's been such a, such a joy. So thank you so much for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.